if you were, uh, if you looked at the the handout that the elders gave us, that there was a uh, a theme that we were putting with each woman in the Bible, and that one says friendship. Uh, what I had was loyalty, uh, which I think those are going to go well together. Uh, but I wanted Ruth to teach us the idea of loyalty. This is one of the uh, the high uh, standards and character uh, concepts in in my life, certainly. Uh, loyalty ranks very high to me, um, one of the highest, that we need to be loyal not only to our God and to our Savior, but uh, loyal to each other, loyal to the relationships that we have uh, that we have gathered, loyal to the idea of uh, bringing people to God and keeping people close to God. Um, but what these questions, some of them might be a little bit straightforward that we can just kind of look right at the verse and say, this verse says that, and that's probably the answer to the question. But some of them I was hoping would be a little bit more thought-provoking. And that's why before we actually dive into the text of the book of Ruth, uh, I wanted to ask this very first question. What are the two preeminent reasons to study Ruth? That one might be a little bit hard, but I'm definitely willing to, uh, to call on whoever wants to raise their hand and give that question a shot. Don't be afraid to, if you think, well, what if I'm wrong? Don't worry about it. Go. Yes, sir. There we go. That's one. See, this is what happens when we when we take chances, right? There we go. There's the two. We got them right off the bat. She is in the Bible. There's a whole book dedicated to her, so there must be a reason for that. And then, secondly, without her, no Christ. So that gives her a, an extra level of importance over some of the people that we find in the Bible. And so with the second follow-up question here, are these gender-based reasons? No. Right? She is, the Holy Spirit spoke about her at length more than others. And she's in the lineage of Jesus. There are lots of people in the lineage of Jesus. And some of those people, we give them great study. We give David a lot of study. Perhaps we even sometimes give Rahab more study than we give Ruth. But Ruth sometimes takes a back burner. And as we mentioned yesterday, I think sometimes we think we have a handle on the book of Ruth. And hopefully as we go through this tonight, we'll realize there's a little bit more to Ruth than perhaps we, uh, we thought. All right, looking here at verse 1. Uh, it came about in the days when the judges governed, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malin and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. When Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, 
and there they lived for about 10 years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people in giving them food. So we have an idea here of what's going on. This is during the time of Judges. It's one of the reasons why it's where it is in the Bible, although the Bible is not always ordered chronologically. Um, but we find that there is this famine. They go to Moab. And then notice it says, it's hard to tell what when the timing of this is, but Elimelech dies and then they take wives for themselves. I don't know if that's uh, important chronologically or not, uh, or if they married and then Elimelech died. We might think it may not be as important. Uh, I think it is a little bit when we understand Israelite culture. Um, but before either of them are able to have children, they die. And of course, that's going to be important later uh, come when Boaz enters the scene. But now, Naomi doesn't have any sons or grandsons to carry on much of this, uh, this inheritance that Elimelech has. So as they are going back, listen to what Naomi says. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant that you may find rest each in the house of, your, of her husband. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, we will surely return with you to your people. Naomi said, return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. And she's going to use that. You didn't know Naomi means happy or happiness. And later when she comes back to Bethlehem, they're going to, Naomi, you're back. And she says, don't call me that. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Um, because of what, uh, as she puts it, what God has done. The hand of Yahweh has gone forth against her. So why does Naomi pressure Orpah and Ruth so strongly to leave? To leave her alone. Okay, so she can't give them any sons. That's an Israelite thing. And even some of the surrounding, like Moab, Midian, Edom, had similar cultural things where basically the wife was sort of passed on to the next child, the next son, um, and, and he would marry and they would stay in the family. So try to unpack this a little bit more. What else might be going on here? What is Naomi concerned about? Yes, Okay, she loves them, and she understands how this culture works, um, that women who have had husbands and those husbands have died, it's much harder for them to have a husband. And if you don't have a husband, as Naomi is looking in the future for herself, 
that's often very hard. Yes, sir. Okay, I think that that's a strong reason as well. She wants a chance to grieve um, because now she's all, she also has her daughter's-in-law grieving, and so that's it's all of it together, right? Your husband is gone. Now both your sons are gone. And not only do you have your grief from that, you have to watch their grief as well. And so she is interested in giving them the life that, that she wants for them because she loves them, while also wanting, I, I think you're right, I think she wants some of, uh, some of that time and that uh, uh, solitude to grieve. And then I have this follow-up question, how might that have impacted Ruth spiritually? Yes. Absolutely, it would have weakened her, yes sir? So she would have gone back to her culture, which is settled in idolatry. Granted, the Israelites are too, but at least they have a more direct conduit to Yahweh. So it definitely would have affected her spiritually, and I find that interesting. Surely Naomi has that in mind. But Naomi is more interested in the idea that if they can go and find husbands and have the happiness and life that they have in that way, it will be better for them. And I find that that's interesting coming from Naomi. And partially, again, I, I, I understand her pain. I wonder if part of that is because she, of how she feels about God. Right there. Because the hand of Yahweh is against me. If you come, the hand of Yahweh might be against you as well. And I think there might be some of that with her as well. So then, they both say no. She pushes. They lifted up again their voices and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah at first says, No, no, we'll, we'll stay with you. Family is family. But she's convinced by what Naomi says. But Ruth, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may Yahweh do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So I have in here question number three. How are Ruth's actions more noteworthy than Orpah's. Why is it so important that Ruth has taken this action differently from Orpah? Okay, she's steadfast. Remember what was the word I said I'm, I'm hoping, the concept I'm hoping we push here with Ruth? Loyalty. And so part of our loyalty is this steadfastness. She has put her mind to it. Obviously, she and Orpah both said, no, we're going to stay at first. And Orpah was persuaded, but Ruth is staying steadfast. Ruth is sticking, uh, sticking with Naomi. What else? What else is noteworthy about this difference? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Go for it. It is quite odd. It doesn't mention anything about barrenness. Um, and so normally, by especially by this culture, that uh, even in American culture, uh, being married for 10 years, you would expect children. Uh, and, and, and you know now that's becoming the last, what, 50 years. Right. Right. And so that is interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And let's also remember, culturally, not having children means something. Not just, I wish I had children and children have cultural significance, but maybe God has cursed us. That's, that's in their minds. None of that is mentioned here, which I find interesting. But on top of that, now Ruth is so determined to stick with Naomi, knowing full well at this point, there's, there are no children in her future. Right? Clearly she doesn't have any now, so who's to say that she's going to have some in the future? Because again, that's not communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. So uh, a very interesting point. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> right, isn't that interesting then, especially the point that Paul's going to make in the New Testament, right, about how Abraham is the father of all who live by faith. And while he's, Paul is making that example to Gentiles, uh, it's certainly true of this Gentile as well, this non-Jew as well. And so an, an excellent point. Um, yes, ma'am. Absolutely, and, and I think that's something that we, we might forget is that she has this feeling, I suppose Ruth by herself could have such a, a strong feeling, but surely Elimelech would have, and, and uh, Malin and, and Killian and the whole family dynamic is very much a, a, a part of all of this together. And perhaps the lack of children was, was uh, not, not celebrated, but... Um, uh, was a point of bringing everyone together uh, and and loving uh, each other to a greater degree. Because um, we're going to see a, a, a description later that someone says to Naomi about Ruth that I think is really beautiful. Let's, we'll get there eventually. Um, something else that I, I, I considered about Orpa is I, I feel like we sort of dump on Orpa. I definitely understand why Orpa made her decision. It's it's the safest choice, uh, at least in her mind. I might actually have some worth if I go back to to my people, 
And one of the things, that it, it would be a little bit harder to understand from a Moabite perspective, but for Israelites, women thought of their childbirth. The reason why childbirth is so important to Israelites is I am fulfilling the promise of God to Abraham. Abraham was promised a great nation, and you know what? I'm part of that. And that's huge. And I wonder how much Elimelech, Malin, and, and Killian are adding to that concept. Is, hey, we're of Abraham's seed, and your children can also bring about that same promise of God. Um, but Orpah's was easy. Well, maybe not easy, but safe. And totally understandable in the culture. Ruth doesn't care about safety. She cares about her steadfastness. She cares about her love for Naomi. And clearly, as we're, especially as we're going to see later, how much she loves God. And that's really going to be, we focus on how Ruth feels about Naomi, and we forget she has a great love for God that is evident to everyone. And so perhaps this is the Bible's way of helping us understand that perhaps Orpah did not have as much of that love and desire that we have. Why is Ruth's ethnicity important to this study? She's a Gentile. Why does that matter? The only people that can be saved are Jews, and according to Moses in Deuteronomy, that's a big old no-no. Doesn't matter whether there's a famine going on. You don't do that. And, and we, we know this. Later on, Solomon says when he marries uh, the, the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt, he builds her her own palace, and he says, if I let her stay in the city of David, it will defile everything. That place is holy, and so I can't bring her in. She'll have to live over there so that she doesn't defile this place. Even Solomon, the people later understand that this marrying people outside of this lineage is a no-no. You don't do that. And so this is absolutely important for us to understand that even though she comes from this other ethnicity, it doesn't mention here um, what if they had gone through any sort of proselytizing ritual or, or anything like that. But we're going to find that this is acceptable. She comes in with Naomi. They know she's a Moabitess. But then her love for God is so evident that it, it's never mentioned again. They call her the Moabitess, but no one stops and says, hold on. This was so wrong what Elimelech's family did. And I, I find that interesting, and I, I, I have a feeling it has to do with Ruth's love for God and love for Naomi, and she declares that these are her people. Yeah. Um, and when we get to chapter 2, we see that Naomi and Ruth have come to Bethlehem, it's at the beginning of the barley harvest. It says, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. Okay, so it says they were Ephraimites. So 
Um, clearly, Boaz is also an Ephraimite, at least part of one. Part of one. So his name is Boaz. Uh, Ruth is trying to take care of her mother-in-law. Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. She is focused on her mother-in-law right now. And of course, on God as well. We're going to see that later. But she's focused on taking care of her. Naomi doesn't have a male to carry on the inheritance and, uh, and all of this. So guess who that is? Well, it falls to Naomi's children. I'm the only one she's got. I am going to go and do all the work I can. So why does Ruth go out to glean? She's trying to take care of Naomi. But I said, is there more to her reason than what is stated? She says, please let me go to the field and glean. Uh, among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. So I'm going to go out and glean and see if I can catch the eye of someone and find favor with them. So is there more to it? Yeah. Wait, wait, put it this way. I heard someone start speaking. Okay. So I don't think that's out of the question, and perhaps that's what the uh, in whose sight I may find favor is what she's referring to. Right. So she's trying to spread the net, so to speak, so that whatever she catches, I... I wonder if her husband is part of the plan. But whatever she catches is going to help her take care of her mother-in-law. But what's so important about children taking care of their parents? What's important about that? This is the work of God. We are commanded to be taking care of our family. So she is not only going out to network to perhaps find a husband, to uh, pad Naomi's situation and perhaps her own. It's the work of God. And as we see, she is intent on what God wants. Boaz sees her. Who is this person? Verse 5. Verse 6. The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. So that's what he's been told. She came back with Naomi. She has been working. That's all this person is is. The Holy Spirit says, told Boaz. Listen to what Boaz then goes and talks to Ruth in verse 8. What does he say? Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maid. 
Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go uh, to the water jars. Drink from what the servants draw. So this is kind of above and beyond what you might expect. Okay? But that's not really what I want us to focus on. I, I keep that in mind. This is kind of above and beyond. So she asks why she's found favor. She doesn't even know where she is, by the way. It says earlier, we didn't read it, that she just happens to come to this field. By the way, whenever it says, then they just happened into something, I think that's Holy Spirit modesty. God guiding. She just happened to be there because God put her there. Um, so why have I found favor? Verse 10. Verse 11. Boaz replied to her, all you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. Fully reported? How you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth came to a people that you did not previously know. May Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He doesn't say, welcome to the nation of Israel. He says, you have come to God. Under whose wings you seek refuge. Is any of that what the servant just said? Not at all. Not at all. What that tells me is, Boaz may not have known what she looks like. As soon as the servant starts talking, he goes, Oh, by this point, she's known well enough that all it says is, yeah, she came back with Naomi and she's been working. And he's like, you've come to seek God and to take care of your mother and leave your family. And it's like, hold on. <laughs> Let's take a step back here. And I think it's because Boaz understands there is, there is more to this story than was told him. And he knows what's going on. And somebody... Of his uh, of his economic stature is going to have information about the goings on, especially of Bethlehem, of the place where he is, which is going to be important information. And then he offers to treat her like one of his servants, which is he hasn't hired her; she doesn't work for him which actually means that many of the servants in this time, if they saw someone who was not hired uh, by the master, if they saw them gathering grain, oftentimes they would go and they would, by force, take that. One, to increase their own income, but also because, well, that's not your master. This is my master. This is his property. You don't get to take it, which is not supposed to be right by God's law, but it happened. Now he says, look, I'm, I've hired you, but you're going to be one of my servants and no one is going to touch you. Boaz is also trying to take care of his family, but he doesn't know this girl. She's, she's a Moabite. She's not even an Israelite. So question number seven, what's the motivation Boaz attributes to Ruth's actions? You're doing this for God. 
And he sees that that's so important that he is now responding to Ruth in the same way. And I think also a, a thank you for, because there's family here, right? This is a, a family member of Elimelech's uh, family and Elimelech's line. So it's also a thank you for trying to take care of his family. But this this says a lot about, I already thought Boaz was a nice guy, but this helps a lot. I said, what are possible mo motives to Boaz's treatment of Ruth? I did mention this about, um, uh, about Naomi and taking care of the family and, and God. But I think Boaz is also just so taken aback in a positive way about who she is. And because of this, now we find he has the desire to marry her even just from what he's heard. And now watching her work. And in fact, she it says that when she had gleaned, it was about an infa of barley. That's multiple pounds of barley. Because they weren't allowed to take any from her. So she comes back and she is worth to gather this. This is also the barley that's really left behind. She's getting pounds of barley that's been left behind. Said brought some, but come on, he's sacrificing a little bit of his crop, but that much? I don't know. But I think that he is smitten with her, but is also very appreciative of, of her. Yes. This is, a, this is a ton of, of, of barley. And, and, but then on top of that, remember we're focused on Ruth right now. That's how much she's working, too, to take care of Naomi. So not only do we see what, not only for Ruth spiritually if she had left, but now what would have happened to Naomi if Ruth had left? Because now she doesn't have someone who's able to work as hard as Ruth to help her. And so Naomi's like, okay, it's time to pay you back. Let's take care of this. And so she tries to set Ruth up with Boaz. I notice here, why, as she gives these instructions, Naomi says, okay, I'll go do that. Why is Ruth listening to Naomi's instructions important? Why does it matter that Ruth is listening to her mother-in-law about what to do next with Boaz? Okay. Okay, so part of this is, is, is probably that there is culture involved here, so she's wanting to make sure she understands, which i got to say, with not understanding culture, Naomi's instructions seem really weird. Go and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. What? Really weird. We'll talk about that in a minute. But she doesn't really understand culture, so that's one reason why she's listening. Why else is she so sure about listening to Naomi? Okay, she's older, listening to 
your elders and taking their wisdom and advice, especially on cultural matters. What else? She trusts her. Just like she has Naomi's best interest, she believes Naomi has her best interest. Okay, and so now they're working together to improve their situation. And so she goes and, and, and does this, and uh, very quickly, I think part of this uncovering the feet and laying down is very common across almost every culture that has farming uh, in some way, that using the animals that you're working with as warmers for your feet is very normal, uh, especially here um, in, in America and in old uh, American and even some Native American cultures is having your dog lay at your feet. You ever heard the phrase three dog night, right? You're using your dog to be warm. Um, that's, that's a very common thing. And I, I think this laying down at the feet is the idea of, of submission uh, and of humility. Uh, I am to the point of warming your feet just like one of your animals. It says that he ate and drank and was merry in his heart. It's a little bit hard to understand what that means if you look at it from the Bible, because happy in his heart sometimes looks like, mm, it looks like being drunk. <laughs> yeah, so he definitely conked out. Um, I do kind of think that's what the Holy Spirit means, but... Um, whether or not it is, I don't know how. I don't know how important it, it is in the long run. But I, that's when I was reading it. I thought, yeah, that's what it seems like. But he wakes up in the middle of the night. Thankfully, I guess his sleep, if he was drunk, sobered him up a little bit. Because he finds her. He's instead of like, whoa, what in the world? He says, "Who are you? I am Ruth." And he says, "May you be blessed of Yahweh, my daughter." You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know you are a woman of excellence. Whoa. I don't think this is drunk Boaz. That's an incredible thing to say. Of course, he's been watching her work, and he knows about her. This is an incredible thing to say about Ruth. And clearly, this idea of laying down at the feet is sort of a marriage proposal type deal. He talks about pursuing men. Uh, she could have pursued men who were younger. Um, and he, he's an older man. Um, and, but he calls her this woman of excellence. And he's been talking about how she is caring about God and caring for her family. And this is her people now. And he says that she's a woman of excellence. So with this loyalty to her mother-in-law, it has created within her a woman of excellence. How much she might have been that already, I'm not sure. Clearly, it is a deciding factor. This is when we talked about Proverbs 31 yesterday. You'll find some of this as well. When you are doing what God has asked of you, you become a person of excellence. And she's definitely proving that here. 
and she's concerned with doing right. And she's concerned with working hard. She's concerned with taking care of people and feeling responsibility for those close to her. And so it's created within her a woman of excellence. However, Boaz throws a little thing in here, which again kind of bumps up Boaz's character too. Clearly Boaz and Ruth, when they get married, are two great people to think in a relationship. But he says, There's someone younger than me who is technically a better Big thing for Boaz, I think. And again, he's so taken aback, he wants to do right by her. It, he says it, he says closer, but then he also is, is going to mention later that it's, it's younger. But there is a closer relative. So culturally, Boaz is a little bit further removed than what would normally be taken care of. But he is uh, younger by by all accounts. Um, and especially when you uh, look at some of the uh, extra biblical records from this time, there's, uh, if, if there are some assumptions correctly being made, uh, that perhaps uh, we know who this other relative was. Uh, but he he offers this. He gets six measures of barley. I don't know what your Bible's going to say. When I tried to look that up, it said 60 pounds. That was about the, the most common among all the sources I looked at. But he, he gives her 60 pounds of barley and says, I'll, I'll call you in the morning. We'll, I'll figure this out with you, and we'll see what we're going to do. And so he, I, I talked about this shrewd move he does with the relative. He says to the relative, hey, Elimelech has this land. Someone's got to take it. So are you going to take it or am I? And this relative says, well, you know, I, I guess I can take it. He goes, okay, if you take it, Ruth's coming with you. Very shrewd move. Again, he's, he's doing right by Ruth. It may, not, it may not feel like it to some of our sensibilities, but he's doing right by Ruth. And this gentleman says, I, I can't do that because... Her son is going to belong to a little less, and I'm going to lose all my inheritance. So you take Boaz says, done. Deal. We're good. But I want to focus here one second. This is the last thing I want you to notice. Because of Ruth and because of her loyalty, look at verse 14 of the last chapter of Ruth. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. It's not so without a redeemer. So give birth to eventually down the line, David and then Jesus. It's a great word. And then look at what it says in verse 15. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Some of the Bible talks about that. Better than seven sons. I've given birth to Ruth in her loyalty and in her behaving the way that God expected her to behave has done right by everyone involved. She worked hard. She gave someone who will help Naomi in her old age. And ultimately, through her and through her example, 
God gives us power. Redeemer of God. 